I'm so glad you're with us today on the Clark Howard Show, where, you know, our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. And today, though, is my special podcast day of the week, my favorite, because it's when I get to hear where you feel I've gotten it wrong. And I get to hear suggestions from you how to give better advice, better information. I love the Clark Stink segment. Also, the average American wants to retire really, really young. But can you? Are you ready for that? Is it a smart decision? I'm going to tell you some of the things you got to think through before you're really, truly okay to retire early. And now it is time for Clark Stinks. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. Okay. Um, The second Clark Stinks I'm going to read is the most popular one we've ever had. Like, it's the most posts I've ever seen on a Clark Stinks. But it's the second one. It's the second one. I'm just teasing you. So I'm going to read this one first. Okay. You said that exchanges like FTX are not regulated. This is false, big time. In the USA, crypto is heavily regulated for anybody who operates in the States, making it harder for people who use crypto to exchange. Please do your research. Maybe if FTX was a decentralized, you may have been correct. Powell. So there are going to be a lot of hearings about this in the United States and overseas in legislative bodies and our Congress. $8 billion missing. $8 billion. And you've had crypto after crypto collapse, exchanges collapse. Lenders collapse. I mean, this is an area that is chaos. And there is no true underlying financial regulation. If you go back in time to when crypto first became an idea, basically around the time that people lost faith in government-issued currencies with the banking scandals and the Great Recession back starting in 2007, were the real seeds of crypto. Crypto itself has proven not to be reliable and not to be properly regulated. What is proper regulation? I have no idea, but I can tell you the heartache for so many people who bet so big on crypto and now have lost all their money, it is for some people, life-changing and very upsetting. And we need a system if, uh, you know, I've talked about the underlying architecture that lies behind crypto and all that. There's so much potentially good there, but the system to this point has been a non-functioning system for speculative assets. And what so often happens with speculative assets is there is theft, There is wild swings in value. There's a lot wrong. We're a long way from crypto being a mature, real form of payment. And crypto is not an investment. Is not an investment. Crypto doing what it's supposed to do is a form of payment 
and a form of funds that people can use to buy and sell things. It's not there yet. Okay, so... You talked about the easiest way, well, I'll read this one. Clark may have neglected to mention the best and easiest way to deal with services that automatically renew. In many cases, one can simply opt out of auto renewals almost immediately after subscribing, even on the same day. This can usually be done in the services website, but in the worst cases, like print magazines and newspapers that Clark seems to love so much, it can be done by calling or emailing customer service and asking to opt out Mike. And then... 10 people emailed about the same topic saying, why don't you take your own advice and use a virtual credit card number? Because we have an article about that on the right. website and you've talked about that. And using a virtual credit card number eliminates the worry of an auto renewal. Okay. So I love this, that so many people are accessing the information on Clark.com. And I love the virtual cards for many, many reasons. And this is yet one more. And it works because I'll get these these annoyed emails from services that say, we attempted to process your auto renewal, but your credit card number no longer works, which is why we talk about why you should use the one-time use only credit card numbers. And I think one we, of the reasons. We talked about privacy.com, which is another site you can use to do the virtual card numbers. Okay, a caller asked for the best time to buy a mattress, and you gave the answer that was probably adequate, but I think you missed one great place for mattresses, your state or local fairgrounds. The mattress dealers who sell there are hyper-motivated to deal, and if you're willing to take the floor model, you can save insane amounts of money, and they usually include a better warranty because it's a show special. We got a $14,000 price confirmed at one of their stores later. Adjustable frame split king system with two purple mattresses for $3,600 and a 14-year warranty on the frame, 10 for the mattress. And bonus, when they delivered it and set it up, all included, they accidentally brought us a deluxe frame with all the bells and whistles. June is the month for our fair. Therefore, June is the correct answer for me, Greg. So I've never heard of buying a mattress at a fairgrounds. I hope this is like the greatest bet ever because I'm choking on, uh, even on sale, you got 75% off through the fairground sale. That's more money than, um, I'm kind of shallow breathing, than I'm excited about spending on a mattress. The last one I bought, we paid four ninety nine for a king. And it turned out later I could have gotten it for four seventy nine, uh, and I'm still sweating the twenty. Did you bucks. lose sleep over that? Did not lose sleep over the twenty. <laughs> Clark ranted about not knowing the cancellation policy on Airbnb and VRBO listings, but this information is clearly stated on every listings page. Any traveler can easily scroll down to the terms and check the cancellation policy. I've been a user at the and the host of Airbnbs for over 10 years, and my cancellation policy is anybody can get a full refund up to five days before check-in. Mike. Mike, first of all, thank you for having a very customer-oriented and friendly cancellation on your Airbnb. What I was saying is that people don't know not that it's not available, but they have not really looked to see what the policy is often on a VRBO or Airbnb on a cancellation. I, the other thing I did say is that it's very common that Airbnbs and VRBOs have very strict policies on cancellations. Many are not changeable 
And if you can't go, you lose your money. What I'm really about here is that you be aware of what the policy is. And again, I want to congratulate you for having such an extremely customer-friendly policy on cancellations for the property you do rent out. Clark and Chris's advice on public Wi-Fi stinks. The advice in the early 2010s about not using public Wi-Fi was spot on. People, it's almost 2023 and things have changed. If you're using a VPN, which everyone should be using, several are free, you have nothing to worry about unless I'm missing something. When you use a VPN, even on a hacked Wi-Fi, your communication only goes to one place, the VPN server. The service is encrypted most of the time with military-grade encryption. In turn, your VPN server then goes to the website you requested, gathers the info, and then transmits the screen back to you, again, fully encrypted. Help me understand your seemingly bizarre rationale. Okay, so I can explain it, and it is that very few people ever use a VPN. That if the advice I should give is that if you're going to use and you said it right, if you're going to use public Wi-Fi, make sure you're using a VPN on your smartphone, your laptop, or your tablet before using that public Wi-Fi would be the right thing to say. My answer is simpler, and that is that I only use the hotspot that is provided with my cell phone to my laptop, and I don't use public Wi-Fi on my cell phone so i'm on the network of my cell phone provider i feel safer that way but your answer is a very valid one i'm just thinking how few people use a vpn as for the free ones a lot of the reviews on the tech websites are skeptical of the typical free vpn and tend to prefer that you use a paid vpn rather than a free one. When discussing the discontinuation of the City Costco Visa Card's extended warranty, you forgot to mention that Costco provides an extended two-year warranty on major appliances and computers and between two and five years on TVs. It does not depend on how you pay for the device, Rick. Rick, thank you. Uh, Costco offers the industry's most generous warranties uh, for buying there for electronics and appliances. And through this Christmas season, they've been offering extremely long warranty coverage on TVs, on many of the TVs that they're selling in the store, just included with the purchase, completely true. I think you missed an opportunity to give a little more information. A few weeks ago, you were talking to a woman whose son was incarcerated. You suggested taking him to a credit union upon release to establish credit because she assumed after 13 years, he has none. Inmates are often are one of the highest categories of having their identity stolen. Sadly, it's usually by a family member or staff at the prison. First, she needs to help him check to see if he does have anything active on his credit files. Then to help build his credit, she can add him as an authorized user on one of her cards and not give him the card. And definitely don't tell him that she did that. Too many listening ears inside and the last step she needs to help him freeze his credit once he gets out he can open his own card and she can remove him from her card a decent credit file is a critical step to predicting rehabilitation when they get out she's a good mom sarah sarah thank you very much you obviously have expertise in this area and it's one that i am not knowledgeable on i appreciate so much 
you sharing this perspective. The, what you're referring to with adding as an authorized user is the same thing that I often recommend for parents with an emerging adult in the household to help them establish a positive credit identity by adding them as an authorized user, but not giving them the actual plastic of the card. You've added them as an authorized user on. Clark mentioned customers should bring their mail to the post office instead of the blue boxes. He failed to state that customers can leave outgoing mail in their own mailbox. That's what those red flags are for on the side of your mailbox or leave your mail sticking out of your house mailbox. You could also request a mail carrier to pick up your packages you want to ship by paying and printing the label at home, Nicholas. So Nicholas, actually, thank you so much for the suggestion about the packages on using the red flag on your mailbox, that's something that I don't recommend because criminals are going along, they see the red flag, and they steal that outgoing mail even more easily than they're stealing out of the post office boxes we're talking about that you should not use to send any payment, any checks, anything like that. So if somebody has a locking mailbox, where the letter carrier can get the outgoing out of the locked mailbox if one does have the universal key system. You could do that, but I prefer that the mail still, anything with a check in it, be deposited inside a post office, not in the outside boxes. My husband once put a check to the IRS in our mailbox with the flag up. I found it and I... Let him know that that was not safe to do. I would not have wanted to be Mike at that moment. Clark, your advice about the college kid traveling to Italy for four months using a T-Mobile plan stinks like a forgotten Venezuelan egg and avocado arepa in a beach cooler for two weeks. I guess that must have happened. That was a lot for me to absorb. Did you forget about Google Fi? That kid can get $40 a month plan with unlimited everything with peace of mind in Italy while getting one year free of YouTube premium as an add-on. I'm addicted to the show to the point that I hate now going to work at 7 a.m. and the podcast is still not set up. But it's okay. I get to listen to it and the commute back home at 5. Thanks for everything your team does. Jean-Paul. Jean-Paul, you are so right. You are so right. I missed that that uh, Google Fi is the right answer to the question, not T-Mobile, as I said. Google Fi is fantastic because you can use it in countries, not every country in the world, but in countries all over the world, just as if you're home in the United States. That is the best answer to the question of what a student should use for a semester abroad. Your advice on Zelle really misses the mark. Zelle is much safer than checks or EFT. Fraudulent unauthorized transactions via Zelle are covered by the banks no matter how the unauthorized transaction was processed. The problems we see in all the news reports is always the same story. The bank customer authorizes the transaction because they are duped. It's no different than giving someone a check or tickets that never arrive for tickets that never arrive or handing somebody cash and finding out later you were scammed. The bottom line, don't authorize any Zelle transactions you don't recognize. The problem isn't with the bank systems. The problem is that consumers don't understand the basics of not giving our passwords and SMS codes to scammers who call them. And they go on. So, gosh, I have to respectfully disagree with you. The Zelle system is a broken system because it does not have consumer protections built into its architecture, its guidelines, or its rules. The way most people are losing money on Zelle 
is they are being contacted by what appears to be their bank itself. This is a fraud just waiting to happen to every consumer of every bank and every credit union in the United States that uses Big Bad Zelle. Zelle is going to offer some level of consumer protection because of intense congressional pressure for having set up this lame, ridiculous, terrible product that they did as a quick rollout without thinking it through because they were so worried about non-banks taking market share from them with products like PayPal, Cash App, and Venmo. And you've never heard me say PayPal, Cash App, and Venmo are this wonderful walk in a park. They're not either. The problem is the frauds on Zelle have skyrocketed because it ties directly into your bank or credit union account through your bank or credit union with Zelle. And the frauds have been rife and the banks are rolling out new protections that should choke off some of the fraud. The reality is there are statutes that do nothing Congress needs to do something about to provide proper protections for the use of debit cards and alternative payment systems like Zelle, Cash App, Venmo, and PayPal. I don't want to hold my breath because I'll croak before the Congress gets around to doing something about it. But this problem with Zelle was a made-in-the-bank problem because they didn't think through this product and how it would so severely harm their customers. And I think it's because they didn't care about their customers. And it's playing out just as I predicted six months ago. The banks are suffering so much reputational harm that now they're setting up uh, fraud protections. But way late in the game, after so many consumers have lost so much money in many cases, not even knowing what Zelle was, not even knowing that a bank or credit union, without asking their permission or informing them, made it active and live on their account and made them so rife for theft of their hard-earned money. No, you will not hear me concede that Zelle is not a problem because it is, and it is, big, bad Zelle. Don't use it. Don't have it. Period. I have no opinion on this at <laughs> I all. I probably should have held that one for another week. Go ahead. Why is that? It just, it's a very, it was a, that it's was not a long in Clark line with the Christmas segment. season, yeah, was it? Bad, no. Sorry. Okay, well, coming up ahead, let's talk about something joyous. Are you ready to ditch work and be retired? This morning, I was at the bagel shop and I saw a guy I hadn't seen in two years. And I asked him, are you still working? He said, no, no, I retired. I said, how's that going? He said, oh, the money's fine. I just am trying to figure out what to do with myself. And so that's actually the two sides of retiring early is I know this sounds like a problem that is not a problem. What are you going to do with yourself? But I was talking to a gentleman just a few days before that who told me, yeah, he's got the money to retire. He's never going to retire because he's still traumatized 
that his dad retired early and went straight downhill because he was one of those people who needed the purpose in life of getting up in the morning and going there and doing something that he just couldn't make it work being retired. So being retired is about more than just dollars and cents. It's like, what do you do after you retire? Do you have hobbies you love? It's not going to the golf course seven days a week, let me tell you. Not playing pickleball on five different leagues at once. That's not enough. Never played pickleball. By the way, are you bothered by that ping sound? It doesn't bother me, but a lot of people hate that sound of the pickleball rackets, but that's a different topic. Anyway, um, the question about retirement, because when people are asked, so many people want to retire extra early. And you got the money stuff I talk about, which is how are you going to live? The guy I talked to this morning at the bagel shop was one of the fortunate few who had a pension that allows him to live out his days in comfort. And gosh, you got one of those? How great is that? A lot of people who work for government may have a pension. Uh, Some people still work for large companies may have a pension. People who work in certain industries and transportation may be more likely to have a pension. The rest of us, it's me, myself, and I. What have you saved in a 401k? What have you saved in a Roth IRA? What do you got? Do you still have debt? Do you, if you own a home, do you own it free and clear? These are things you got to figure out. And is the money you've got enough to support your lifestyle moving forward? And if you retire well before you're Medicare eligible, how are you going to do the healthcare thing till you're Medicare eligible? I mean, these are things that are just basic blocking and tackling. And on the money question, there's the 4% rule which some people now say in current conditions is 3% rule, but I think it's fine to stick with the 4% as you plan. It means, can you live on 4% of what you've saved? Because that's about how much you can afford to spend of the money you built up in retirement. There are a number of things you look at, including what's your ongoing expenses that you've got to cover. Are you really in a position to do that? And so these things are more check marks you need to be realistic about. The other side of it, though, is this, what are you going to do with your life? Are you going, are there hobbies you love? Like, do you have a, um, a wood shop and there's things you've wanted to build and maybe sell on the side and a hobby becomes like a little part-time business? I had the pleasure in my TV work to recently meet a couple that took their hobbies in retirement and now they're making real money selling the things that they make and also selling flowers. And they made this really cool cart and they sell flower arrangements from their home and they're they're making real money doing it. The funny thing I heard from them though is they're both working a lot more than they intended with just a little side thing, but it's doing so well. But what do you do with that time? Because if you're not fulfilled, retired days become not as much fun as you'd think. I mean, for me, it would never be an issue because I'm interested in like a million different things. And I'd be volunteering here and volunteering there and volunteering somewhere else. 
I love to travel, but that can't be everything. And so being engaged and involved in something where you're making a difference in other people's lives in the community, those are the most fulfilling things. Having friends, the network of friends in retirement, very, very important because retirement can be very isolating. So think about not just the money side. I want you to think about the other side. And if A and B add together to C, you've got the resources to be able to retire and retire early. You've got the activities you'll be involved in. Then you're good because we never know how much life we have in front of us. If you're a longtime listener to me, you've heard me say all through the years, the thing a late Massachusetts senator said when he was diagnosed with a um, terminal disease and resigned his seat in the U.S. Senate at the height of his power in the U.S. Senate. And he said, I never heard a dying man say he wished he spent more time at his work. I remember that is so important. Their life is more than work, obviously. And so when you've got those check marks for retirement and you know what retirement means and what will work for you, go for it. Have a great time. And so that having been said, Krista, goodbye. I'm leaving. Uh, you'll have to finish this podcast. It's over. I know. If you weren't enjoying it, I know you wouldn't do it anymore, but I know. No, I love what it. I do and I continue to work. But you got that funny look on your face. Thank goodness you knew I was kidding. Yes. No, I know. Okay. M in Colorado has a question for you. I need to learn about forecasting Roth IRA eligibility. If my W-2 income is $115,000, i am eligible to put into a Roth IRA and do so on a set amount every month so it maximizes my Roth contribution by the end of the year. I also, however, have investments that pay dividends that I don't see in my checking account but somehow make it into my AGI. These dividends could put me over the AGI limit for Roth IRA eligibility. The problem is I don't know the dividends until the 1099s come out in the beginning of the following year after I've already maxed the contribution to the Roth IRA for the current year. What do I do? The market is volatile, so how right. do I know if I'm Roth IRA eligible? All right, so this, this is why Roth IRAs and traditional IRAs, you're allowed to contribute in the following year for the prior year because of this problem. There are people that are on that income bubble that may be found to be income ineligible later on uh, because in Congress's wisdom, they've decided if you make what they consider to be too much, you are not worthy to be a saver for your future. Don't get it. Anyway, that's what they do. So in your case, you should not take advantage of dollar cost averaging of contributing an equal amount through the year. Instead, what you do is you save that money. Now in an online savings account, you can earn uh, decent parking space money on it, decent interest. And you got to wait till you've got your 1099s after the turn of the year, you know, in early 24, you see that your dividends and all that keep you below the income limit, uh, single limit, 138000 now for 23. And then you make that contribution before you file your return in 24. It means you lose gains that may have occurred 
throughout tax year 23 by being able to dollar cost average in, but you're still able to make those Roth contributions for 23 and know that you're fine with the tax code. Paula Michigan says, I'm very fortunate to be receiving a lump sum pension. I'm confident in the stock market and plan to invest most of it in a variety of stock market index funds within my 401k and will be accessing funds through the rule of 55. I read, see, and hear conflicting advice on whether to invest it all at once or dollar cost average over X period of time. What is your advice? I love dollar cost averaging Because the psychological harm, if you put in a lump sum and all of a sudden the market has a big decline and then it takes years to make up from that big decline. The math, though, over the decades finds that on average, you end up with more money putting in lump sums than putting it in in equal amounts month after month over a dollar cost averaging cycle. The psychological though is very important because people can feel devastated if they worked hard through a working lifetime, get that lump sum, and then bam, it gets blown away in short order. So I'd say if you would feel, if you would lose sleep, you would be twisted in knots. If there was a big decline right after you put in a lump sum, go with dollar cost averaging is a way of peace of mind putting this money aside for your future. And Charlie in Georgia says, my spouse's parents both passed last year. Very sorry. And left her a generous inheritance. Her parents used a well-known firm that she wants to stay with her parents' advisor who is in another state. She feels this advisor has helped manage her parents' money well, and she very much respected her parents' judgment. But from what I've read, their fees seem very high to me. What is your advice? And P.S. The inheritance was split between several children, so her parents' total investment with this company was much higher than even what she received. So there's several things to unpack here. She felt like her parents had great judgment. She probably feels some sentimental thing to using the person who her parents used. Uh, She may not feel comfortable being with a firm that doesn't have this kind of individual that's a it's a high commission firm owned by a bank uh, i never recommend that people do investing ever with the investment arm of a big bank because the fees are so high the individual she would be with probably is not legally a fiduciary either meaning that they can put her in investments that are not best for her because it gives that individual the salesman at the bank-based brokerage, more money in his or her pocket. So this is tough because also with the money being divided multiple ways, none of them individually are as important to this broker in another state as the parents were with their combined assets. There are a lot of reasons they would say not to be with this ultra-high commission, full commission brokerage house. I would use this as a decider as a recommendation to your wife. She's got to be happy with the decision she's making and don't push her to make a decision she's not comfortable with. But I'd say that if this individual is not acting in a fiduciary capacity, meaning that legally they are required to do what's in the best interest of your wife, 
then she should not be with that person. The fees alone would not tip it away from being with this person because of the prior family connection and the sentimental nature involved with that. And performance over the next several years may force a change in how she feels about this anyway, and she may be willing at that point to move to a lower-cost firm. But if this individual is not a fiduciary, then that's a deal-breaker, and that would be why she should move this money away from that broker. Again, express to your wife, if you would, my sympathies over the loss of both of her parents in such a short period of time. And I want to thank you for being part of our community here. We work in all the capacities that we connect to you to serve you as best we can as our head and our heart tells us is the best way to serve you. And that's what we want to do at Clark.com, ClarkDeals.com, here on the podcast and all the ways that we may reach you and provide you information that empowers you in your life to take more control over it. And I hope you have an absolutely wonderful day.